Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. I watched the Netflix documentary, Harry and Megan, so you don't have to. And I have a lot of thoughts. More on that later. But first, there's a lot of news to get to. WNBA player Brittany Griner is back in the U.S. after being detained in Russia for 10 months. She was released following a trade for notorious arms dealer Victor Bout, also known as the Merchant of Death. Here to discuss that and much more is former acting director of U.S. National Intelligence, Rick Grinnell. Rick, welcome back to the show. So what do you make of the Brittany Griner swap? Well, thanks for having me, Megan. Um, Look, you know, we should start off by saying these these issues are very difficult when you're dealing with family members who literally, I think, will do uh, anything to get their loved ones back. And I think that's appropriate. Um, I've thought long and hard about this hostage process, and it's really important that the families always stay independent from government. Government uh, certainly doesn't want to have a slippery slope of doing something that encourages uh, regimes like uh, Putin's regime to somehow start grabbing people and using them as a a weapon in negotiations. Certainly, we know that if that happens, they'll just start grabbing Americans wherever they can and then de- start with demands. But I think in particular, this Griner swap uh, was really bad. And I think that it is going to signal uh, troubled waters for Americans as we travel overseas, because what you have is is a basketball player who simply um, had marijuana and suddenly they're being switched for a guy who has been trafficking in arms, arms that kill Americans, uh, literally a killer of, of Americans and others. And it's just not something that that we should have done. I think the Biden team has made clear that they had no choice, that this was the offer that Putin made. But I don't believe that. I reject that. I think you always have an opportunity to leverage. You're the United States of America and you shouldn't just have uh, Putin dictating to you a trade and uh, take it or leave it and and being trapped somehow by saying, well, we want Brittany Griner home and this is the only thing that we can do to get her home. I think it really, again, signals troubled waters for Americans overseas. Hmm. 
it's such a tough situation because we want Americans home. Yes, she appears to have, you know, taken pot into Russia. But I mean, my God, you know, 10 months in a labor camp, that's that's really not in anybody's mind fair. They were trying to use her. They were trying to up the ante to get our attention and it worked. Um, And this guy, Victor Bout, being back on the streets is not a good thing. Politico has a great piece today uh, getting into the background of this guy. And it starts as follows. Listen to this, Rick. Shortly after 1 p.m. Bangkok time on March 8th, 2008, two shaggy Colombian guerrillas locked eyes with a genial mega rich Russian arms dealer and realized they had a lot to talk about. A guerrilla says as follows. They're flying Apaches. They're flying Blackhawk. We don't have any. How can we defend ourselves with a rifle against a Blackhawk or against an Apache? We want to knock those American sons of bitches because we're tired. Kill them and kick them out of my country. Yes, 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 says Victor Bout the arms dealer, commiserating. They act as if this was their home. Propaganda. Bout assures Ricardo and his pal Carlos, both working for the Colombian Marxist rebel insurgency known as FARC, that he shared their hatred for the United States. We have the same enemy. Goes on from there. So he's back out on the streets now because we needed to get our basketball player home. But the thing is, that's what we tend to do. We don't tend to let Americans twist in the, in the wind forever in these regimes, even if they've broken a law, a minor law, right? It was, it's, we're trying to strike a balance between getting our girl home and at what price? And do you think this was just too high a price to pay? Well, I think you just hit it on the head at what price? And, and yes, it was way too high of a price. We, of course, want Brittany home. We want all Americans home, even though she's kneeling for the American flag and doesn't love what America exactly. stands for, uh, we still want someone like that home because we we should be always pushing for freedom of speech. But let, let's look at this. I, I tend to, as a diplomat, try to look at the other side and put myself in their shoes. What Putin wants uh, during this war in Ukraine is he wants his arms dealer home. He wants to be able to get arms from uh, a whole bunch of places. And this guy was the expert. The reason why he's trying to get this guy home, uh, the expert arms dealers, because he's having trouble in Ukraine. It's clear they are trying, uh, they're buying drones from Iran. They're doing everything they can to try to win this war. They're running out of power. They're running out of uh, money. And yet Putin feels very strongly that this is, uh, you know, his his stance. I wouldn't say final stance, but it could be. He he very much feels like this is the pride of old Russia, the old Soviet Union that that is at stake. But uh, I, as an American, get frustrated that Joe Biden keeps getting uh, outmaneuvered. Let's let's be yeah. very clear about why this Ukraine war started. The Senate Democrats and Joe Biden dropped the Trump sanctions on Nord Stream 2, on Putin's pipeline. We had that pipeline sanctioned. And when Biden came in, and this doesn't get enough media attention, he and many Senate Democrats uh, that took to the floor in the Senate said, we're dropping these sanctions because we don't want to stick it in the eye of the Russians. And we think that this situation is going to get worse if we don't drop the Trump sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That was a strategic blunder. It did the exact opposite. It showed Putin that we were weak. It gave him a green light. And within months, we had the war in Ukraine. I don't buy these Democrats who are all big tears about the war in Ukraine right now. And and the fact is the media aren't putting the tough questions to them to say, yeah, but you voted to drop the sanctions on Putin's pipeline. What do you expect? Uh, Putin is going to thank you and pull back? from his offense? No. 
he saw weakness and he doubled down. And we have a war in Ukraine because we dropped those sanctions. Now we're giving billions of dollars in this war and they just got their arms dealer, their expert arms dealer, their best arms dealer back in Russia. And he's already at work, absolutely trying to find new arms to escalate this war. This is Joe Biden's war. And, and who did we get? You know, it's like, yes, we brought our American home, which we like, but we, we forgot Paul Whelan. <laughs> we forgot our ex-Marine who's sitting over there, who's been accused, our people say, on trumped up bullshit charges of being a spy. Uh, and he's been sitting over there since December 2018. He um, told CNN in a phone call Thursday night, he's really unhappy about this. Here's just a bit of that thought, too. I have to say I'm greatly disappointed that more has not been done to secure my release, yeah. especially as the four-year anniversary of my arrest is coming up. I was arrested for a crime that never occurred. I'm happy that Brittany is going home today and that Trevor went home when he did. But I don't understand why I'm still sitting here. Mm. What do you make of that? Is that that started during the Trump administration when you were uh, you yeah. were working for Trump? So what mm -hmm. do you make of Paul's complaint? Well, we've been working on on Paul's issue for a very long time. Look, these things are very difficult. They take a long time. Um, again, I want to emphasize that it's very important for the family. I've worked uh, extremely closely with families who have a loved one uh, that is uh, detained overseas. And they should have the right to speak out and criticize. The government should not try to control them. And we in the Trump administration were absolutely clear that the families get to do whatever they want to do. We're not going to try to control them. The Biden team absolutely threatens and controls these families. They say, shut up. They say, go along with our policy. And so these families dutifully talk uh, glowingly about the Biden team because they're afraid. They're absolutely afraid that they're going to get left behind because this is a vindictive administration. They weaponize everything. We know that as conservatives, they weaponize the IRS, they weaponize DOJ. This is an administration that is trying to control the families. And I think it's really important to let the families pressure the government and, and do whatever they can, go on TV, uh, criticize the US government, I even believe this is very controversial, but I even believe that the families individually without the government support should be able to pay and do anything they want to get their loved ones back. From a public policy standpoint, we don't think that's a good idea to pay. We, we uh, when I'm in government, I absolutely want to try to convince the families why it's a bad idea. But Megan, if my mom if my nephew, if my brother was overseas, I'm going to do everything possible. And that would mean everything is on the table. Because mm, I almost feel like don't say it out loud, Rick. You know, it's like next thing you know, somebody's going to think. Of I that know. Because, but you know yeah. what? It, it is part of a public policy. Um, somebody who cares about public policy, you got to care about the individuals. And you you want to be able to not control these families when they're in a desperate situation. You and make no mistake. I would always try to convince them not to do it. It's not a good idea because of but the slippery slope, it. but yeah, you shouldn't control the them. Well, Ken, I, my problem with this is it feels like a loss. You know, I don't understand why we couldn't get a twofer when we're giving it up an, up an arms dealer when he's in the middle of this war, which isn't going very well for him. Um, why can't we get 
a twofer. It's not like we have an arms dealer and a basketball player. We got a guy who they say may have been a spy. It seems like the evidence of that is rather weak. I don't know what the proof is, but they didn't catch him in the middle of an arms deal like we did this guy, Victor, about. So, you know, the the Biden administration basically shrugs his shoulders and say, says it it wasn't an either or. What could we do? Here's the president just to bring it home for the viewers. Sot one. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. We brought home Trevor Reed when we had a chance early this year. Sadly, for totally illegitimate reasons, Russia is treating Paul's case differently than Britney's. And while we have not yet succeeded in securing Paul's release, we are not giving up. We will never give up. So should we just accept that or should we say, as you said, we're the United States of America. We have more leverage. We have more power. We have more everything than Russia does. Of course, to hear Joe Biden say we had no choice is awful. It's embarrassing and and he should be thrown out of office. This is the same guy who said, oh, I got 90 percent of the Americans back from Afghanistan. This is not what the president's supposed to do. The president has a lot of leverage. And yes, again, I'll say it for the third time. It is a very difficult situation. No one is pretending like this is easy. But we do have leverage with Russia. We were making progress. But now you have this precedent that an NBA player is going to be switched for the merchant of death. So what does that mean now for Paul Whelan? He's not an NBA player. He's a former military uh, official. So now we're going to have to, you know, ratchet it up and give away a whole bunch because that's the the pay uh, scale that the the Biden administration has established. And and I think that it's terrible. We should be able to come up with a whole bunch of other ideas. Certainly we have other tools, uh, whether it's Department of Transportation right? Airline flights. We have a whole bunch of things that we can use. I'll just quickly say when I was U.S. ambassador to Germany, um, we had a situation um, where Mahan Air was an airline bringing in terrible stuff into Germany. And we asked the Germans to shut down the airline. They wouldn't do it. And we finally had to go. And I had to say to Chancellor Merkel, um, we're going to have to warn Americans that if you travel to Germany on an air flight, uh, you need to be uh, uh, realizing that this is a very risky situation because there's the, an Iranian airline coming in and bringing in bad stuff. And so as soon as we used that tool, uh, that that said a lot to the government and they changed their ways and they barred Mahan Air. I'm suggesting that there are other tools that we yes. can use throughout the U.S. government, Treasury Department, Agriculture, Commerce, State Department, There are other tools to get Whelan home. All right, let's shift gears in the time we have, which is the Twitter files. They continue to come out via Matt Haibi, Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger now as well, um, working to expose what Elon Musk has found since he lifted up the, the, the roof and took a hard look at what was going on in the Twitter engine. And it's ugly. It's a disaster in there. Um, the second, there's been a couple of additions, but, um, What Barry Weiss essentially reported is contrary to the congressional sworn testimony of Jack Dorsey, the former Twitter CEO, they have been shadow banning people. And lo and behold, 
It's conservatives. Uh, it's people like Dan Bongino. It's Charlie Kirk. It's Dr. Day, Jay Bhattacharya, who we first put on this show in the spring of 2021 when he was being banned and not platformed by anybody. I'm very proud of that, by the way. He says we were the first major interview uh, that that had him on. Um, he even he was banned. He was secretly being uh, placed on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trying. What did Jay Bhattacharya do? He basically said, let's do focus protection for people. Let's make sure we focus on the elderly and the people who really need quarantine as opposed to kids. And they banned him, not to mention Bongino, Kirk and others. Just to take a walk down memory lane, Rick, here is Jack Dorsey in sworn testimony denying that Twitter does this. It's 2018, SOP 4. Mr. Dorsey, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to read a few quotes about Twitter's practices, and I just want you to tell me if they're true or not. Uh, social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. I don't know what Twitter is up to. It sure looks like to me that they're censoring people, and they ought to stop it. Uh, are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. Uh, he better hope that what they just revealed in these files started after that testimony, because that could be problematic for him. And it's just problematic on such a bigger level, Rick, in terms of what this massive social media company, and I guarantee you it's not just Twitter, has been doing to half of the country, to, to spokespeople or prominent voices for half of the country. Yeah, I mean, look, my own anecdotal evidence shows me that uh, Instagram does the same thing all of the time. It's ridiculous what's happening on Instagram. So, uh, you know, Congress needs to go after this. We just need to fight. Um, this is packaged as a freedom of speech issue. And shame on the D.C. media who have been cheerleaders for silencing conservatives and uh silencing dissenting voices. Sometimes they're not even conservatives. I'm outraged that we have a platform that lied to us about what they were doing, pretending to spin the whole thing as, you know, we're, we're the guardians against fake news. And they turned out to be people who were censoring the truth and promoting fake news. This is a scandal of epic proportion, and there's only one way that it continued, and that's because the media did not push back and check against this. They sat in the back and they were cheerleaders for this process. And it, there's a lot of uh, reporters who cover Twitter, who cover the media, who should be apologizing today and scrambling. And there's editors across the spectrum in Washington, D.C. that should be making wholesale changes, but they're not. And until we get a media that's going to push back against these scandals, including the weaponization of power by uh, powerful people in, in government in Washington, D.C., it's going to get worse. We need a, we need the media. We need the check and balance. They're the ones who are supposed to stand up to the powerful and they're not doing it. The media didn't think it was a problem that the Post was suppressed on its Hunter Biden reporting. They supported it. The media certainly supported the kicking of uh, President Trump off of Twitter. They loved it. Yeah. That's another piece of the reporting from Per Schellenberger. Um, and now that this all comes out, the media says, Jan, there's nothing to see here. 
Oh, and by the way, Elon Musk is in a bunch of trouble. He He's not actually um, cracking down on child pornography. Meanwhile, the facts are exactly yeah. the opposite. They, they continue to come up. In fact, according to Elon, um, he's they've actually gotten more aggressive against child porn than it, the entire history of Jack Dorsey's tenure as CEO. Never mind the guy who, who came after him. So the media decides to say there's no story here because we chose not to cover it the first time. And now that we're being exposed to, there's really no story. And by the way, Elon Musk is terrible. And here's a bunch of made up stories about him. That's I mean, you can take it to the bank. You've seen it done a million times. Yeah. And I think it's really important to name names and to call people out specifically rather than just the media. So let me name two. One, Dana Bash at CNN. Uh, her husband was one of the people that signed the uh, were 51 former intelligence intelligence officials who signed the letter saying that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. It wasn't. What we know is there wasn't a single piece of raw intelligence that suggested that this was a politicization of uh, the the issue three weeks before the campaign. They did this for politics. And Dana Bash has a responsibility to ask the person that she's sleeping with whether or not he had accurate information or if he signed a letter that manipulated the election, that interfered with the presidential election. She's on TV every single day. Why isn't she asking her husband about this profound public policy issue that we're all talking about? The other person is Maggie Haberman at The New York Times, who covers everything that Donald Trump does, except she's not covering the Elon Musk revelations about Donald Trump. Why? Because she's playing one side. And and that's what we have to guard against. That's what we have to out. And that's what we have to fix. Wow. Um, Miranda Devine, who's done great reporting on all of this, she's the one of the post who uh, had the original story on Hunter Biden. Um, and she has a piece out for data yesterday. The media silence on the Twitter files is shameful. She points out, uh, citing Media Research Center, NBC, CBS, ABC devoted a total of zero minutes to the Twitter files. Um, NBC's disinformation reporter Ben Collins's contribution to the tweet uh, was a, a yawn emoji. A yawn, a yawn. Of course, he's completely bored. Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness. Not so interested in shedding any light on this. New York Times, same. They've moved on. They're trying to wormhole the story so that it goes away uh, and they don't look bad. And without people like us, it that's that's what's going to happen. So thanks for coming on and talking about it with us. And we'll stay on it. And also, you know, what's going to happen in this Russia situation? What about Paul Whelan? We don't talk about the people we've left behind enough. Great to see you, Rick. All the best. Okay. Uh, By the way, I should mention Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss will be here on this program on Wednesday. That's exciting. Uh, Okay. When we come back, my thoughts on the new Netflix Harry and Meghan quote documentary plus author Tom Bauer, who wrote the book Revenge about her is here. Quick clarification for you now. Dana Bash was previously married to Jeremy Bash who did sign the Hunter Biden laptop disinformation letter. But uh, my producers tell me that Dana and Jeremy actually divorced back in 2007. So they have not been together in a while. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Well, I've seen it. Harry and Meghan's tell-all. Or at least, tell what you think makes you look good. And those are three hours I will never get back. What a boring, uninspiring, interminable waste of time. Believe it or not, this couple is still complaining. From the Montecito Mansion, with their two beautiful, perfectly healthy children, a little chicken coop and flower garden out back, matching Uggs for Megan and her toddler, all royal titles still intact, complete with matching stationery, and nearly $200 million in the bank, thanks to their insatiable desire to finally tell their story. Like to Oprah, and on Spotify, and in New York Magazine, and in a memoir, and, well, you get the point. They have to do it, you see, because no one knows the whole story. No one. This has always been so much bigger than us. No one knows the full truth. Um, we know the full truth. The institution knows the full truth and the media know the full truth because they've been in on it. OK, so Harry and Meghan know and the entire royal family knows and the press who informs the public, they know. And the guy at the Sunoco, he knows. And the waiter at Olive Garden, he knows too. And that's all. That's all that knows. No one else knows the full truth. So they have to finally tell it. Okay. And what is their chief complaint, pray tell? It appears to be that the press has occasionally been not nice to Meghan Markle. After months of ubiquitous, fawning coverage, coverage that made her a household name, some then said nasty things, like calling her the C word and the B word. And the other B word. And you know what, Meg? Been there. Quick reminder. Megan Kelly's really biased against me. Do you really think she can be fair at a debate? Which set off a new torrent of tweets. 80,000 tweets directed towards Megan Kelly. Broke it, uh, broke it down to see what the most popular words were. Crazy Megan Kelly. Crazy. Overrated. Bimbo, Ugly, blonde, bimbo, Megan Kelly, Hooker. can't watch crazy Megan anymore. Donald Trump and his arch nemesis, Megan Kelly, are making peace. Signs of a truce this morning between their Trump feud and apparently diffused. You met with Megan Kelly today. How did that go? Ah, good times. <laughs> and let me tell you what I've learned. Over time, the nastiness dies down, and you learn to rise above. You learn to look at your beautiful life and to focus on that, not what strangers write about you in the press. The sun keeps rising in the east and your loving life goes on, no matter what people tweet or print about you. As King Charles once said, and I know you've seen this because it's in your series, you let this stuff take hold of you at your peril. If you don't try to work out in your own mind some kind of method for existing, and surviving this kind of thing, you, you would get mad, I think. Obsessing over the negative pieces for five plus years is another way to go. Constantly playing the victim despite the enormous gifts you've been given. Hmm? But this is not healthy 
nor is it particularly attractive. And newsflash, it has the added effect of making people dislike you, thus feeding the demand for even more negative press. The people this pair is asking to feel sorry for them have their own problems, real ones. They live paycheck to paycheck for the most part. They have kids in public schools where they worry about depression or drugs and crazy teachers. They work all day. They're tired. They need a vacation that they're probably not going to get. And they don't have a closet full of designer dresses, never mind stylists surrounding them for major black tie events, as we see in this piece. They live in small houses or maybe an apartment. They keep a watchful eye on the rising gas and electric bills, the cost of groceries, as they try to save for college and still give their kids a nice Christmas. Too often they're dealing with health issues or dependency or unexpected layoffs, and they certainly don't give a damn about the mean tweets being sent out about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. One thing I did find interesting was the amount of emotional baggage Harry still carries. It's big. Good gracious is this man insecure. Partly because he's a ginger. Yes, wait for it. And partly because he clearly has not worked out the trauma of his mother's premature death. Time and time again, I said to myself while watching this, this guy needed therapy, not the weird tapping thing he did. A real psychotherapist. That is what he needed. Not a whiny, woke, annoying wife. Listen to him describe how his family allegedly reacted when he introduced them to Megan. I remember my family first meeting her and being incredibly impressed. Some of them didn't quite know what to do with themselves. Because <laughs> um, I think they were. They were surprised. Maybe surprised that a ginger could land such a beautiful woman and such an intelligent woman. That's not his family. That's him. And he's not wrong. Does anyone really think if he were Harry Jones instead of Harry Windsor, this beautiful, semi-known social climber would have given him the time of day? It is a bit shocking that she's with him. Until you consider his title, fame, family, money, sort of castles, staff, and access to fabulous things and people. That's what lured her in, clearly. Not Harry's red hair (laughs) and not his Mensa IQ either. Just kidding. That's not a real thing. Remember when he called the First Amendment bonkers? This is no scholar. All of this is a downside of being a prince, I guess. And not even the heir, just the spare. Honestly, though, it's probably also a downside of being a Gates or a Jobs or a Zuckerberg or a Beckham or a Brady. But it does explain why she so easily leads him around now by his little red puppy dog ears. Top that off with her damsel in distress routine every time a tabloid or a tweet or an anonymous Internet troll says something nasty about her. And you have the perfect cocktail for frustration, tears and eventually makes it. Here's Harry explaining how he was not going to let this become Diana 2.0. I accept that there will be people around the world who fundamentally disagree with what I've done and how I've done it. But I knew that I had to do everything I could to protect my family. Hey, Grandma. Uh, yeah. Grandma. Especially after what happened to my mum. Yeah. That's your grandma, You know, I didn't want history to repeat itself. That's a sweet moment between the baby and the picture of his grandmother, who he will never know. But first of all, the press hasn't done anything to Megan remotely approaching what happened with Diana, which I'll get to in one second. 
But did he really promise her, Harry? Did he really promise Meghan he would protect her from the press? In Botswana, out in the bush, when an elephant came by their tent, they tell us he promised to keep her safe. And now the occasionally mean reporters, they're the paper elephant. It was so overwhelming. A prince and his American sweetheart. He said, okay, well then I'll just treat it like we're in the bush. We're like, it's all foreign to me, but I trust that you'll keep me safe and you'll get me through it. Ah, so sweet. And such an empty, asinine, absurd promise, which they both knew could never be kept. Because you know what? I'm part of the press and we don't answer to Prince Harry. He does not control us, scare us, or really even get to shape our coverage at all. He certainly doesn't have any power over what American journalists or citizens write or say, which Markle knows very well as an American actress. But even in Great Britain, where the palace may be able to influence some coverage, they do not control the media. Otherwise, Prince Andrew would still be a working royal and we wouldn't know how much he'd like to hang out with pervert Jeffrey Epstein. The series also makes clear the roots of Harry's newfound annoying wokeness. Yes, it's his wife, uh, his wife's influence for sure. But he is also tormented, apparently, by that time he wore the Nazi uniform for Halloween when he was 20, complete with a swastika on his arm, says it was one of the worst mistakes of his life, but wants us to know now that he met afterward with a rabbi and a Holocaust survivor because like he didn't know that Nazis were bad before that bad job, Eaton. Hello. (laughs) Since then, you see, however, he has done the work tackling his unconscious bias, which he wants the rest of his family and Britain to do, too, because you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Okay, babe. And newsflash Brexit supporters, you are part of the problem. If you go back and look at the social media of that moment, immigration is at the absolute center of those debates. And immigration is very often in this country a cipher for race. Everybody should should feel concerned about illegal immigration. We don't know who these people are. Send them back off. So the EU commissioned a report in 2016, exactly the same time that our relationship became public, it warned that if the government isn't going to do something, or if the media aren't going to sort themselves out, that a culture war that have already existed was going to become huge and become a real problem. It was a perfect storm that gave credence to jingoism and nationalism and gave people with really horrible views of the world a little bit more strength and confidence to say what they wanted to say, to do whatever they wanted to do. Hmm. To be clear, if you supported the UK asserting its independence and leaving the EU, according to the moralists of Montecito, you are racist. You drove them out of the royal family. Looking at you, Nigel Farage, you are to blame for Brexit and apparently for Mexit. Unlike you racist Brexiting Brits, Harry gives not a thought now to people's race. He is over it, unless they're his kids, in which case he's super excited to share. 
My son, my daughter, my children are mixed race, and I'm really proud of that. Wait, is that okay? Are we allowed to be saying now how proud we are of our children's race? Because I'm pretty sure if a white person said that about their white kids, you'd be calling them racist. H, do better. Race is, of course, an ongoing theme of this so-called documentary and of this couple's woke life. Megan's race is allegedly the reason why people came to loathe her, you see. And the race of those doing the reporting is the reason they're racist and keep doing racist things like not liking Megan. We have to recognize that this is a white industry. So people who come up with these headlines, they are doing so in a newsroom that's almost entirely white. And they get to decide whether something has crossed the line of being racist. You see, the documentary lays it bare. By the way, can we really call it that a documentary? It wasn't exactly fact-based. Seemed more like one of those inspired by a true story than an actual true story. Like most of these streaming documentaries, it wasn't produced or directed by a journalist. It was created by a woke Hollywood filmmaker who used to direct The Handmaid's Tale. And Liz Garbus's failure to adhere to journalistic standards is quite undermining of her piece. A journalist would not have used five shots unrelated to Harry and Meghan to show press harassment of them. A journalist would not have suggested a war by the press while showing a picture the couple blessed and cooperated with. That would not be ethical. A journalist would not have aired this thing without making sure that his or her attempts to get comment from the palace were repeated and clear and well-documented, none of which happened here. A journalist would not have allowed Meghan to smear the BBC as doing an orchestrated reality show interview for their engagement without seeking comment from the BBC, which has since denied the charge and accused the filmmaker of misleading editing. A journalist might have felt duty-bound to point out that while Megan was urgently messaging her dad about her wedding, she was coordinating with Palace PR. These were not loving messages from a concerned bride-to-be. This was defensive PR by a woman obsessed with her media coverage. All of this came out in one of her many lawsuits against the UK press. Guess this documentarian forgot to document that. The fallout with her dad caused lasting damage. In one of the more shocking moments of the film, H describes it this way. She had a father before this, and now she doesn't have a father. And I I shouldered that, because if Meg wasn't with me, then her dad would still be her dad. She doesn't have a dad? What a farce. She does have a dad. He raised her and loved her and paid for her college and never asked for any of this attention. He screwed up in dealing with a paparazzi, paparazzi, staging photos of himself, getting ready for her wedding, reportedly in exchange for cash. Not good, but unforgivable. One mistake after a lifetime of loving and supporting her. You know who doesn't have a dad? Me and millions of others out there who would kill to have just one more Christmas with them. Just one more chance to hug them or spend time with them and put any BS misunderstandings behind us. Her dad has had two heart attacks and a stroke. He lives just a few hours away from her, but now he's dead to them because he didn't deal well with the paparazzi. He's ghosted. 
I guess Harry's her daddy now. And Harry, whose dad is also alive and well, oh, and also the King of England, who could probably use some nice press about him right now. He's just started his reign. And Harry's message to him, my mother was all heart and I am my mother's son. And also, I'm the only one in this family who married for love. I think for so many people in the family, especially obviously the men, there can be a temptation or an urge to marry someone who would fit the mold as opposed to somebody who you perhaps are destined to, to be with. The difference between making decisions with your head or your heart. And my mum certainly made most of her decisions, if not all of them, from her heart. And I am my mother's son. I guess the sweet music is meant to soften it. Okay. So your dad raised you without your mom from age 12. But hey, he wouldn't keep the cash flowing when you quit working for the royal family. So I guess he can pound sand too. Megan also makes clear, just in case you were wondering, Kate and Will's super formal, not just in public, but in private too. Stiff as a board, actually. Unlike the very warm and delightful hugger, Megan, he's so fun to share stories. As for the matter of Diana's death and the cloud that looms as a result, Harry appears to me to be looking for a kind of do-over. If he can manage the press for Meghan and get a better result, maybe he'll feel better about what happened to his mom. Psychologists are well aware of this phenomenon. But Meghan is not Diana, and she is not getting hounded by the press in any way close to the way Diana was. Other than a few paparazzi hanging around outside of Meghan's house in Canada, when their relationship first was made public, the only paparazzi shown bothering her is one guy on a scooter in New York City <laughs> in a scene that remains my very favorite of the entire series so far. Look at these drama queens. Do we have that pap on the scooter again? Yes, ma'am. Oh, we do. Really? Same guy? Same guy. Oh, my God. I'm... Watched him go into this park and then... Still be with us? Yes, sir. He was just ahead. There's a lot of people who think yeah, they've got such a problem with, with paparazzi. Yeah, those, um, the guys in the basement of the building, too, as we were doing that walk we were recording, too, just so you're aware. Back in my mom's days, it was physical harassment. You know, cameras in your face, following you, chasing you. She's following us. Hey. This path, the worst case scenario, so safety yeah. first, worst yeah. case scenario, we're going from one garage to another. Like, it's Safety first. It's one guy on a Vespa. What are you worried about? He's going to deliver some flowers in a newspaper to you? <laughs> but this is so on brand for these two. A ridiculous overreaction to an absolute nothing burger that they then use to paint themselves as victims and doubly so when no one reacts with the horror they expect. Harry is still miffed his family did not do more to protect his provincial, innocent, doe-eyed bride. You know, the one Tom Bauer says spent the months before she met Harry trying to find someone rich and famous to marry. And who, according to her friends, loved to set up paparazzi shots of herself. The direction for the palace was, don't say anything. No comment. Everyone just say no comment. But what people need to understand is... As far as a lot of the family were concerned, everything that she was being put through, they had been put through as well. So it was almost like a rite of passage. And some of the members of the family was like, right, but my wife had to go through that. 
So why should your girlfriend be treated any differently? Why should you get special treatment? Why should she be protected? And I said, the difference here is the race element. There it is again, her race. That's the game changer. She deserves special treatment because of her skin color. Is that how it works, by the way? The press has an obligation to go easy on black or mixed race subjects. Tell it to Clarence Thomas, Larry Elder, Herschel Walker, Yay West, Will Smith. I could go on. In America and in the UK, the press cuts everyone. Everyone with power, privilege, or a platform, at least. People who seek the spotlight are going to get it, the good and the bad. It's not nice, but it is the world in which we live, the costs of a free press. And yes, it's worth it. There have been a few nasty racial comments about Meghan and even some about Archie. A reporter at the BBC compared their baby to a monkey. Horrible. And he was promptly and rightly fired. Harry says Mara was required of the palace, but what? Fired is fired. And the vast majority of comments they mention in this piece, and there are not many, are either a one-off from a tabloid or a comment from online no-names. Why is it the palace's role to stifle stupid comments on the internet or in the media, even if they could, even if they could? The UK has actually passed laws to make things safer for royals dealing with the press in the wake of Diana's death. These two have more protections from the media and paparazzi over there than they do here. But no institution can stop the churn and burn of news of the tabloids. The best one can do is learn to ignore it. Harry suggests so far without evidence that the palace was actually planting hit pieces against him and his wife. That's unfortunate, but again, unproven and frankly, may have been fair play given this pair's behind the scene antics, bullying and constant playing the victim. Remember when they went to Africa and Megan complained in the midst of such poverty and suffering that no one was asking how she was doing? Megan and Harry have a great life. I'm happy for them that they got away from a situation that was not working for them. If only they would now simply live that life without the constant lecturing and judging and petty complaining. The queen, who had a keen sense of public perception, had a simple rule for her family. Never complain, never explain. It keeps the royals a bit mysterious and avoids some controversy. We are finding out from Netflix why that rule was so important. The more these two talk, the more we recoil. We desperately miss the mystery. Joining me now, Tom Bauer, author of Revenge, Meghan, Harry, and the War Between the Windsors. Tom, great to have you back in the program. What do you make of it all? Well, you summarize it very well, Megan. Um, it is nauseating and it was boring. But I think one element which uh, needs to be remembered is that Meghan was very, very popular in Britain when they first engaged and the wedding was an unbelievable high point in Britain's history that year in 2018. It all began to sour when they became so hypocritical. When she went to New York for a baby shower that cost half a million and she claimed while she flew on a private jet, that she was an environmentalist, when she denied uh, the public sight of Archie when he was born, but they gave an exclusive to CBS, when she began complaining to the palace officials in a way which was characterized as bullying. And all the time, the public was giving her the benefit of the doubt 
until it became intolerable. She was not only hypocritical, but she was dishonest. And that is really when it all fell apart. And of course, when she gave the, uh, her letter to her friends who passed it on to People magazine, the letter to her father, uh, which was clearly intended for public uh, consumption, which was just filled with lies, uh, then I think the public decided that Meghan was after her own interests and had none of the interests of the royal family or Britain at heart. And she really cast herself as a celebrity to return to Hollywood and was not prepared to be a member of the royal family. And it's at that point, she lost not only public support, but the British media's support. You're absolutely right. I mean, I've I've joked on the show before. Here's my here's my Meghan and Harry mug. Believe it or not, I have a Meghan and Harry mug from their wedding when I went to cover it. And so I was there. I saw the love for her amongst the British people. They absolutely adored her and not just the people, the press, too. Yes, there's always going to be a couple who are nasty or say negative things. That's life. But the overwhelming majority of coverage and comments about her were absolutely fawning. But we're supposed to just forget all of that because these two go scroll through the comments section. Literally, there was a statement by him eight days after the relationship was announced referencing the comments section of some online internet sites to try to find anything negative, and then they blow it up into representative of the full coverage. Well, I think you've got to bear in mind that Harry is not very intelligent and is emotionally insecure and has never really understood Diana at all. When Diana died, he was 12, and he's never really tried to understand that Diana was not killed by the media. Diana fed the media. I mean, she'd given uh, Andrew Morton a secret interview to provide his book. She'd given the BBC an interview to uh, the Panorama interview, which was explosive. She kept on calling paparazzi photographers to tell them where they could get a good angle of her. So the idea that Diana was not totally in cahoots with the media is ridiculous. And of course, she didn't die in Paris because of the media. She died because she wasn't wearing a safety belt while she was driven by a drunken driver at a reckless speed. So, And Harry doesn't want to understand that because of one factor. Meghan has played him brilliantly. All his other girlfriends got fed up with a manic depressive who drank too much, who was boisterous, and had paid no attention to them, the women. And Meghan comes along deliberately looking for a rich, uh, famous man, and in the end, cultivated him. Mm-hmm. She, in the end, she created what she wanted, and he simperingly obeys her. So He walked you know, right into it, Diana. and her acting history, I think, helped her. Let me just pause you there, Tom, so um, I'll, I'll squeeze in a quick ad, and then I want you to pick up that thought, and we'll also play the new trailer in which they launched new allegations. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. My guest today is Tom Bauer, author of the book Revenge. And if you want a scintillating read, go here, read this. Uh, I both read it and listened to the audio and it was absolutely riveting. Um, And it's got a lot of fact bombs in there that will contradict a lot of what you're being told 
uh, by this pair in this so-called documentary. For one, Tom, before I get to their new trailer, for one, she wants us to believe she was having her single girl summer. She was not interested in meeting a man at all. And then now we get a different story. It was originally, oh, they were set up on a blind date. Now it's we met over Instagram. But either way, the I was not interested in being set up was not true. Well, of course it's not true. I mean, Megan was on a manhunt in London since 2013. She came repeatedly looking for an Englishman because she thought they were much nicer than Americans. And there's a whole string of actresses and journalists she met who testified to her request. But of course, the Instagram story, I've seen the original photograph, it shows Megan next to uh, Violet from Westenholz, the person she asked at Wimbledon to set her up with uh, Harry. So again, she's lying. What happened was the Instagram photograph was the photograph that uh, Violet, the the intermediary, sent to Harry with a picture of Meghan. I had Meghan having asked uh, Violet for that for, for an introduction. There's nothing wow. true in in in, in Meghan's story, uh, th- and that was a small issue, but it's uh, very telling. Wow. All right. Because the way they tell it in the documentary is he was just scrolling through his Instagram and he follows some person who's close to the royals, I guess. And there was Megan in her cute little dog ears and dog. I don't think she has some some sort of filter on. And he was like, "What?" But you're saying she had orchestrated that, too. She like she is a manipulator. Well, yes. And the point is, in the the whole photograph, it has. Violet, the intermediary next to Megan, were also wearing a Snoopy nose. The whole thing was part of the setup, but it wasn't the beginning of the setup. I mean, that's the point. This guy, he has, I mean, does he have any idea? Is he as clueless as he appears? Or do you think he has any sense of what he's actually married and how she's orchestrated this whole thing? I don't think it has any sense. But worse than that is that his disloyalty to his family. I mean, he is tr- so treacherous towards his father and to his brother and to Kate and also the memory of the Queen. I mean, you just had to look at his face as he saw Meghan in that curtsying, which he did in the first uh, the per series. Uh, totally exaggerated, totally outrageous, because that isn't, of course, how she curtsied at all. And he just Tom, can I interrupt you? Can I, can I interrupt you? I want to show the, vi- the viewers that people who are watching us on YouTube uh, and then you can resume. Uh, this is her from the from the tr- from the do- series showing the exaggerated curtsy she now claims she did when she met the queen. Americans will understand this. We have medieval times, dinner and tournament. It was like that. Like I curtsied as though I was like. Pleasure to meet you, Your Majesty. Like, was that okay? Go ahead. Well, I think, you know, clearly that was rehearsed several times by the Hollywood director before they got the right take. And it's completely untrue. She would never have done that. And it was apparently at at a lodge in Windsor Park. I mean, it's ridiculous. But the real problem for Harry is that he's cut himself off completely from Britain. Meghan doesn't care. But Harry should care because it's uh, terrible what he's done to his family. But, of course, it gets much worse because what your viewers don't understand is that the series also attacked the Commonwealth, which are 56 nations, nearly all of them part of the former British Empire, which voluntarily have joined together, that's nearly a third of mankind, uh, to improve the world. And amongst them are Canada, Australia, 
New Zealand, Singapore, and they're cast as racist as well by that historian who you featured in the, in the series. And that is just terrible because the Commonwealth was the Queen's great pride and joy. And uh, Meghan and Harry trash it. And that is unforgivable. Mm. Yeah, they, this episode two goes over the British Empire, slavery, racism, and the privilege of the royal family. Again, as I mentioned, the talking points, they blame Mexit on Brexit and the racists in Great Britain who had the temerity to want Britain's independence back. Uh, all racists, all anti-immigrant, all anti-black. And uh, I mean, just like these allegations alone, I can see finally why people would say they should be stripped of their royal titles because to allow this guy who clearly can't stand Great Britain's um, to, to maintain his title and never mind her is an is an insult. It's a real insult now to the people who he's smeared. Well, absolutely. I mean, clearly they should lose their titles. But of course, the royal family has a much bigger problem, which follows Thursday's series, which, of course, is Harry's book. And that's going to regurgitate and add a lot more to the uh, fuel to the fire. And I think the only way is not only to strip them of their titles, but in the end, to break the uh, Queen's dictum of don't explain, don't complain. And probably for William to say that what Harry is describing is completely untrue and that he really needs to go to back to a shrink and had his, have his head examined why he is behaving in this completely ridiculous and awful manner. It's truly like a, a family of, of robotic, loveless, evil racists. That's the image. These two want to paint of the royals versus themselves, the huggers, the bird watchers, the baby snugglers, as if Kate and William don't have a million home photos of themselves snuggling their babies. They just don't release all of that to the public. I'm sure they're just as warm as any other parent when it comes to their children. But it's these two who are trying to draw a line between the two. And Tom, now today we get trailer number I don't know what, but they're promoting the second edition of their Netflix series. It comes out this Thursday, three more hours. Good God, help me. And this one seems to tee up exactly where they're going. Here it is. I wonder what would have happened to us had we not gone out when we did. Our security was being pulled. Everyone in the world knew where we were. I said, we need to get out of here. We are on the freedom flight. To see this institutional gaslighting. I wasn't being thrown to the wolves, I was being fed to the wolves. They were actively recruiting people to disseminate disinformation. They were happy to lie to protect my brother. They were never willing to tell the truth to protect us. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. The rogue royals. They just wanted to be free. They wanted to be free to love and be happy. I applauded that. In order for us to be able to move to the next chapter, you've got to finish the first chapter. It gave us a chance to create that home that we had always wanted. I've always felt as though this was a fight worth fighting for. Wow. What do you make of that? Well, he's brainwashed, but it, Megan's very clever. I mean, don't think for a moment that she's not convincing quite a lot of people especially in America and in uh, Africa and the Caribbean and elsewhere, that somehow she was thrown to the wolves. Of course, that's completely untrue because she had all the time Scotland Yard protecting her and all the time people uh, speaking on her behalf. 
So it's a complete lie that she's uh, perpetuating. But I do think they're convincing. I think that people will believe this confection produced by Hollywood. But the point that I really think is important to put to them is, and to Hollywood, and to Netflix for creating this farage of lies, is who is they? Who actually mm -hmm. threw them to the wolves? Who actually was not prepared to tell the truth on their behalf? I mean, it's a complete fiction. It's worse than a fiction. It's actually damaging corrosive. Because in that case you mentioned, which uh, Megan brought in London against the tabloids, it's quite clear that the, her staff in Buckingham Palace were doing everything they could to help her, were doing everything they could to lie on her behalf. That is what's so astonishing. And of course, she lied when she told the British High Court that she had not cooperated in telling her own lies, that it was all a mystery to her. And that's what's so terrible, that the more she lies, the more credibility she's getting. And that's the, thanks to Netflix and the Hollywood producers. And we Harry, are going to we are going to hear who they are, as outlined in that trailer, 100 percent. And they've already telegraphed it, it. They is the royal family in the first three series. Harry comes out and says, oh, there's the leaking of stories, meaning by the palace that the press wouldn't be the leakers. It's the it's the the principles. Uh, the, the royal family leaks and also the planting of stories. And he is absolutely getting ready to say in this next three episodes that the palace and its staffers, courtiers, whatever, were planting negative stories on him and her. That's what she means, I think, clearly by they threw me to the wolves or they fed me to the wolves. By the way, it's the same thing um, that they were going to be the dumping ground for negative stories while William and Kate were protected and that they were not protected. In fact, to the contrary, negative hit pieces were planted on them by their own family. So how is the palace likely to deal with that? Well, it was great difficulty because, of course, they're lying. They, they themselves created the bad press by behaving so irrationally and so hypocritically, like, for example, refusing to visit the Queen in Balmoral on the grounds that Archie was too young to fly and then flying off to meet George Clooney, uh, George Clooney in the Mediterranean and, and, and Elton John. I mean, they're the, they're the cause of their own bad publicity and the bad stories. They created them by their, their dishonest um, um, performance. But the real problem is that I don't think silence will silence them anymore by the Royal Palace. The Royal Palace is going to have to uh, come out and give their version because the only way the Sussexes can earn their living is by carrying on regurgitating their moans and complaints and lies. And the only way for the palace in the end to silence it is to give a version of the truth. However much I can say that the Sussexes are not telling the truth, that will not silence them. It'll have to be something very, very sim simple, but effective. And I think William is the, uh, the mouthpiece for the royal family. Uh, and he needs to talk soon. What do you make of the relationship now between these brothers? I heard you on with Dan Wooten on GB News saying Diana would be horrified at what her one son is doing to the other, not to mention to Prince to King Charles now at the beginning of his reign. I mean, he's really trying to sabotage the whole thing from the look of it. What do you th what do you yes. make of the relationship between well, the boys? It, it, it's a tragedy. And of course, it's very, very damaging. It's very damaging for Britain's reputation across the world, because the one thing which everyone associates with Britain is the royal family. But you see, the point is that this is Meghan's plan all along, was that she had to be famous. And when she discovered <clears throat> that the royal family is led by the Queen and not by Meghan, that is when she decided she was getting out. 
And now she is setting herself up as the queen of Montecito. She is setting herself up as the person who will speak on behalf of the exiled royals. And she doesn't care how much damage she's creating, because after all, remember how she's treated her father, how she treated her first husband, how she treated her best friends from school. She is a person who is totally destructive when it comes to promoting herself. So I think there's a lot more bloodshed to come in this battle. And of course, the relationship between Harry and William is one of the casualties. Even how she treated her own niece, which is documented to some extent in this film. They they bring up her niece, Ashley, who is the daughter of her Megan's estranged half sister, Samantha Markle, who may be familiar to the viewers. They don't get along, Samantha and Megan. Megan says they never had a relationship. She doesn't know why this woman's all over the press commenting about her now. Samantha says they used to be close. And there's a picture of the two of them as recently as Megan was 28, seven years old and says she dumped Samantha once she started to become famous and got together with Harry. In any event, Megan had a relationship with Samantha's daughter, who Samantha did not raise Samantha's parents. I don't know. Somebody else raised the daughter. Um, The niece got invited to the wedding originally or was going to get invited to the wedding. They became close. Megan and the niece Ashley wound up having a relationship. And I'll tell you, Tom, my husband, is, I made him watch this with me because we were together. He, he's watching them talk about how that she reached out to the niece and they went on trips together. And he said, oh, well, this you know what? This is nice. This is a good piece. I said, yeah, this is nice. And then, of course, boom, the hammer drops. The niece got told you're not coming. You're not coming to the wedding. And here's how they explain it. Sot 29. How do we explain that this half-sister isn't invited to the wedding, but that the half-sister's daughter is? And so, with Ashley, the guidance at the time was to not have her come to our wedding. I was in the car with H, and I called her and I had her on speakerphone, and we talked her through what guidance we were being given and why this assessment was made, and... And that's painful. I think I said I was hurt on some level, but I understood where it was coming from. To know that it was because of my biological mother that this relationship that's so important to me was impacted in that way. feel like because of her it was taken away. It's been hard. So, Tom, well, this is supposed to make the royal advisors look like heartless, evil people instead of Megan. Yeah. Well, look, first of all, I'd love to know, see all the outtakes of that interview until she finally gave the tears they wanted. <laughs> that was a rehearsed interview of absolutely no credibility at all. Secondly, the reason that she wasn't brought up by her mother was, of course, that the mother suffers from a terrible handicap. She's in a wheelchair and is very is near paralyzed. So she couldn't, and the, the marriage with her father broke up. But thirdly, of course, the palace absolutely, and I believe them, denies that Meghan was told not to invite her niece. That the palace quite rightly said, Meghan chose all her guests. And the reason she didn't want her niece there is quite simple. She didn't want any members of her family there, even from Doria's side. There were lots of um, uh, uh, family from Doria's side who expected to be invited too. And the reason was quite simple. Meghan did not want them telling the other guests the truth about her background. She wanted 
her mother to stay silent, and the mother did, and she didn't want anyone to say what Megan had got up to and what the father got up to and all the other things in their youth. And the mother has a lot to hide, believe me. And she didn't want uh, the niece telling anybody what Daria's past was. So it's not true. But of course, what Megan did invite were all the people she didn't know, like George Clooney, Oprah Winfrey, and all the other Hollywood stars who were going to help right. her career. Right. And and now she wants us to believe, oh, it's all the the palace that made me disinvite her. Most of us would have said, I'm inviting my niece. I don't care. The tabloids, they're going to write what they're going to write. If I want her there, I love her. She's coming, period. And by the way, they, they interestingly avoid the subject of it's been, what, four or five years since the wedding, right? It was, well, 2018. It's been four plus years. Are they back together? Does she still see the niece? Because they weren't together. I didn't see any nice shots of the two of them after the evil palace got its hands out of the relationship. It doesn't appear that they've resumed anything close to a relationship, even though she's back in California now. Um, okay. Absolutely. Let me but I, yeah, and, and what's very important, what's very important about this marriage is that quite uniquely, no guest list was ever published. Normally in Britain, when the royals get married, there's a guest list published in newspapers. At Megan's request, that list was not published. And there was a reason for that. She did not want to draw attention to the fact that her, none of her family, other than her mother, was coming and not the mother wasn't even allowed to bring a friend. So the That's idea right. that she was going to invite the niece was nonsense. She used that interview, very carefully controlled interview and filming by the director to make it clear that how evil not only her uh, sister Samantha was, who in the end told the truth about Megan right at the very beginning, but also attacked the palace. And I think the palace officials one day will want to tell the truth about how they've been bullied and lied to by Megan herself. As we go into this week and the upcoming drip, drip, drip of trailers and then the release on Thursday of part two, what should people know? Because these two seem to be getting ready to say the palace controls the press. The negative press coverage about Megan can be directly linked to the palace. The press does what the palace tells them. And if the palace needs stories buried, they get buried. If the if the palace wants stories amplified, even if they're untrue, but reflect negatively on someone they don't like, the press will be the lap dog, dogs they get paid to be. And by paid, I mean they get the label of royal expert, royal correspondent. They say that in, in, in part one. Harry says that. So is that true? Well, it's completely untrue because I can tell you for writing my book, which has masses of disclosures about the horrors of Meghan and Harry, not a lot of new material. I got not only no help from the palace, but not even replied to my email asking if they'd like to help me. So the idea that the palace controls it is complete nonsense. In fact, the palace has done its best to suppress the truth because all the allegations by the staff of Meghan bullying them has been investigated by the palace, but the report is buried. They won't publish the truth about Meghan. And that is my complaint, that there's like lambs to the slaughter. They're letting Meghan and Harry have a free run. So the idea that the palace somehow controls the press, Meghan should provide the proof. It is all the time they say they. They're very stupid, Meghan and Harry. They really, they've been given a free run by Netflix. Netflix have behaved, to my dismay, disgracefully in giving them a free run of peddling their lies. And unfortunately, as they well know, the palace has got a habit of not reacting. But the media too, they haven't provided the name of a single journalist 
who has written a, a nasty story, an unfair story, an untrue story about them. Everything is smear. Everything is anonymous. And it is really appalling that Netflix have put this stuff out. Mm. Well, you see, when you watch the series, one of the first things that pops up on the screen is produced by Archwell Productions. So th- she and he are producing it. They they have a producer label and therefore editorial control. And so is it any surprise that there's no pushback on any of this? This is well, not a documentary. What, what's it, very interesting to me, Megan, is this, that they have provided 15 hours of their own home videos, which are just filled with loving pictures of themselves. But they didn't allow Netflix into their home to really get the honest, candid, uh, what I imagine it would be, a proper fly-on-the-wall documentary. They kept Netflix out. They have controlled Netflix. And that's quite astonishing because I was convinced that they would be there uh, filming warts and all. But Megan has her great strength, her genius in a way, is to control the narrative. Mm. She makes Goebbels, the great Nazi propagandist, look like a child. She has managed. <laughs> okay, that's the bridge too far. To humble. She has managed to humble Netflix into doing her bidding. I don't think I've seen anyone else in America or around the world who has been so such a, a, a weak uh, combat uh, partner as Netflix has to Megan. She has well, succeeded that- in a way which is quite remarkable. That's what what upsets her is when she cannot control the narrative. That's what this entire thing is about. It's the entire thing. What what are they mad at? What what horrible thing happened? They got bad press. And sometimes it was really nasty. Hello. We've all been there. Grow up. They think they're alone in this life as a public figure. I'm here to tell you they're not. I showed that clip of what happened with me and Trump just to give you a flavor. But good God, if you went past that point in time to when I was at NBC and so on. Yes, I understand what it's like to have somebody try to destroy you. It's unpleasant. But most of us in the public eye understand it's the unfortunate downside of being in the limelight. It will pass head down, shoulders back, move forward. Never have I seen such a whiner who thinks she can control an entire group of people and professionals in the UK and Canada and the United States because she doesn't like what they're saying. And I don't know what happens with the British press corps and the royals. I believe you would you say, but I can tell you one thing for sure. No one's ever tried to control me. I don't know anybody at the palace. I don't have any of those connections. And I'm going to say whatever the hell I want to about her because over here we do have the First Amendment. It's not bonkers. My opinion is protected. And I, unlike these two, remain factual, (laughs) as does Tom Bauer. Tom, I'll give you the last word. Well, I think she wanted the spotlight. She told her father when she was seven years old and they came out of a cinema that she wanted to walk on the red carpet for the rest of her life. And she got the spotlight. She got the spotlight and she wants to control the spotlight on her terms. And that is why programs like yours are critical to actually puncture the bubble and to tell the truth. Well, well, Tom, thank you very much. You've been a leader in that your whole career. So it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. And coming up, two first-time guests are going to join me. These are Brits, too, the young ladies, and they've got some thoughts on Harry and Meg's, or as they call each other, H and M. That's even more annoying than my husband. (laughs) She got even more annoying. H, H. Stand by.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Our next guests are British commentators Sophie Corcoran and Leilani Dowding. Ladies, welcome to the program. Great to have you here. So let me pick it up where I touched on with Tom Bauer, which is her saying and him saying the reason they needed to do this Netflix documentary, again in quotes, is people just, they, they have to tell their story. Nobody knows their story. And as Megan put it, like people need to finally understand who they are. They need this glimpse. SOT 23. When you feel like people haven't gotten any sense of who you are for so long, it's really nice to just be able to have the opportunity to let people have a bit more of a glimpse into what's happened and, and also who we are. No, no one's gotten a glimpse. This is this is our first. OK, Leilani, I like call me crazy, but I've, got, I've had more than glim- more glimpses than I want. Exactly. I mean, she did a reality show in the U, um, a documentary in the UK. She did the Oprah in- interview. What more do we have to see of her? And we know already from how she speaks about um, uh, William and Kate, we know that she's not a genuine person anyway. She was projecting. She said, oh, I just can't believe how they are when I met them and how they are the same behind closed doors. Well, that's how a lot of people are, you know, it's what you see is what you get. And, and that's it. So that was, to me, a kind of a sign of what she was projecting, that she's a very different person. And she just had this thing that she had to keep showing us. And if we don't get it the first time, she'll show it again. And if we don't get it the second time, she'll try and show it again and show it again and force it down our throats. But we still don't believe it, Megan, because, you know, I I just don't think it's her. And, right. and you you and will believe truth in it. We see lie after lie and things are made up. And, you know, they're there with three different cameras in their car looking around the paparazzi that we as, as viewers. And no one's there. No one's there. This is my favorite scene <laughs> of the whole thing. I have definitely been chased by more paparazzi than these two have. I mean, like, this is absurd. Oh, there's one guy in a scooter. Oh, ah, oh, the fear <laughs> of the Vespa. It's embarrassing. Well, the, the clip- we never saw him. And this it's- is a funny thing, you know, that they're, they're talking about this paparazzi and they're always getting followed. And then it follows with montages of Diana and, and flowers being laid. But, you know, that was all paparazzi in... If, if it was paparazzi in America. So why were they fleeing the UK? What were they fleeing from? Because, you know, it's there in America. When we saw the press, I saw a headline from the National Enquirer. I'm pretty sure that's an American magazine. I saw these um, these ladies on a daytime show making fun of how the Queen would act when they saw Meghan. That was another American, American show. So what is it about England? And what was this whole setup 
in the first three episodes to paint England as this awful, racist, nasty country. It's really true. The piece that um, that that Leilani was just referencing, Sophie, about where she weighs in on what Will and Kate are like behind closed doors is um, it's a masterclass in manipulation. It really is. Look how she sets herself up while just innocently commenting on how Will and Kate are behind closed doors. Watch this. Twenty four. Even when Will and Kate came over and I had met her for the first time, they came over for dinner. I remember I was in ripped jeans and I was barefoot. It's like I was a hugger. I've always been a hugger. I didn't realize that that is really jarring for a lot of Brits. I guess I'd started to understand very quickly that the formality on the outside carried through on the inside. That there is a forward-facing way of being. And then you close the door and you go, oh, great. Okay, we can relax now. But that formality carries over on both sides. And that was surprising to me. Hmm. Sophie? Well, this woman is just a master manipulator. It's the entire reason that they left the royal family in the first place. They constantly banged on about saying, we want privacy, we want privacy. Well, I don't think a six-part Netflix series is privacy, nor is an Oprah interview. What she really wanted was control. Because she is a manipulator. She wanted to be able to manipulate people. She couldn't manipulate the press in the UK. That's why she was angry. She couldn't force people to write the stories that she wanted them to write. So therefore, she left to get privacy so that she could write the stories in her own perspective. This entire documentary has stemmed from a hatred and a jealousy of Kate. That is the reason this entire thing exists and the entire problems with the royal family and Harry and Meghan exist. She cannot stand Kate because Kate is beautiful, she is elegant and she is going to be queen and she is the centre of attention and Meghan will never be the centre of attention. And they speak about in this documentary about the formality. Well, no, you know, no surprise, it's the royal family and there's a hierarchy in this family. Well, again, no surprise, it's the royal family. And she, she perpetuates this narrative for the entire documentary of I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Well, whose fault is that? Yours. Because this is the royal family. It's not some irrelevant family sitting in Alaska. Like, everybody knows what the royal family do. They know how No one believes that. No no, no one believes that stupid claim that she didn't know what she was getting herself into. I've played this. Piers Morgan came on my show after the Oprah interview and we talked about this. But I, I queued it up for you gals. Now we have video. I don't show my kids on TV because unlike these two, I actually don't want to exploit them. Um, but I'll, I'll show you this video. My daughter, Yardley, her face has got a gray square over it, so you can't see her. But you can hear her and you can see her gestures. And this is my daughter, Yardley. This is like a few weeks before I went over to cover the royal wedding. And I was just explaining to her, mom's going to be away for a week. I'm going to cover this royal wedding. And she had heard about it in school and she understands the basics. And she had just turned seven. I think she was either six, or late six or early seven in this video. Everyone understood what Meghan Markle was getting herself into. And here is the proof. Sot 21. Why would someone want to live in a royal family? They boss you around. It's like you go to a whole different country and they have to boss you around. Like you have to eat with your, le- with your left hand. You have no choice. You have to. <laughs> and I don't think that's fair. Because... They've planned out your whole life for you. Right. And you already have your life perfectly in New York City. <laughs> That's true. And then you go to England, and surprisingly, you don't like your life because someone else makes your choices. And it's not fair. 
<laughs> I totally agree with you. I love what you said, Yards. Thanks. <laughs> it's adorable. Even it's a six-year-old could see it coming. Well, this is the thing. I think, you know, even a child can see, and I think Megan can see. But then again, we see that Megan has this obsession with Disney princesses. You know, we're always hearing about her um, talking about, you know, the, the Disney the Disney girl that got her voice back, Ariel, right? And then she wants to be compared to Diana, which is diametrically opposite because Diana didn't use her voice. Diana used her ears. Diana listened and listened. And that's what people loved about her. But Megan had this Disney idea of what a princess is and thinking it's all going to be, you know, red carpet events and like a Kardashian reality show and the best designer clothes. And what she maybe didn't realize that it was going to be duty and she would have to go to parts of the country that she might not like, that weren't glamorous, cut a tape, speak to people, but listen to what these people had to say about their lives. Listen to what they were going through about the work that they were in, not being lectured about net zero and green energy by Meghan Markle. You know, Meghan would have to listen. So maybe that bit she didn't realize she would have to do. But as far as curtsying to um, the queen, come on, I mean, she was supposed to have done a, a, a degree in international relations or international studies. You know, you curtsy to the queen, you bow when you're in Japan. There's certain things in certain countries that are marks of respect. And if you have done studies in international relations, then you know, she should know that. And, oh, and, and as would... if Harry wouldn't have said, here's how it's right. done. Like he, 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 he may not curtsy. I don't know what he does to the queen, but I'm sure he's seen a curtsy 10,000 times. But I think that you ladies are underestimating the sacrifice this poor woman made during her stint over in your country. I give you, for example, the fashion. Look what this poor girl had to go through. Sat 28. Most of the time that I was in the UK, I rarely wore color. <gasps> <laughs> there was thought in that, to my understanding. You can't ever wear the same color as Her Majesty if there's a group event. But then you also shouldn't be wearing the same color as one of the other more senior members of the family. So I was like, well, what's a color that they'll probably never wear? Camel? beige, white. So I wore a lot of muted tones, but it also was so I could just blend in. Like I'm not trying to stand out here. There's no version of me joining this family and trying to not do everything I could to fit in. I don't want to embarrass the family. I was just trying to compare myself. I can't the beige Sophie come on this, that was wrong this, this this entire documentary I'm sorry it's just so pathetic I mean we have one of the most privileged people in the entire world I mean people in my country we are literally like our homes are freezing we you know we're choosing between heating and eating there's a war in Ukraine and here we have the Duchess of Montecito crying about how hard her life is because she had to wear beige <laughs> <laughs> She's not oppressed. She's not a victim. It's just nonsense. It's I think what you said a second ago, Sophie, is is interesting. I heard I saw somebody online say, I think it was tongue in cheek, but they said anybody who's had a borderline personality disorder friend in their life understand what's ha what's happening from Meghan Markle's perspective toward Kate. Like she does seem to be very focused on her to take any shots at Will and Kate in this documentary is pretty extraordinary. I mean, Harry used to 
be like their third wheel and they were very good to him. She's she's been very kind to him. Why would they be taking shots at Will and Kate? You know, they're not responsible for this massive institution. Not yet. Um, so she does seem to be obsessed with her because she raised her again in the Oprah interview in a way that we were told was dishonest. She to your point a moment ago, that's interesting to me that you think this whole thing is is about her anger toward the princess of Wales. 100%. It's just pure jealousy against Kate. This this entire Netflix deal, the entire reason she came out of the royal family is because she just cannot deal with the fact that there is another woman who is equally as beautiful, who is a whole lot more classy and a whole lot more talented and just better fit for the royal family than she is. And she cannot handle that. And that's this is all coming out of jealousy and of rage. And Harry's just sitting there and watching like a loser. That's the thing, Harry. By the way, I mean, Leilani, on the on the wardrobe front, uh, Meghan wore tons of color while she was over there in the UK and part of the royal family. We we have plenty of evidence of it. Uh, And she, by the way, because I have crack producers, she wore tons of camel and black and white prior to joining the royal family and after. So I don't know what like this is just so classic her. You know, look look at the sacrifices I tried. I tried so hard to fit in, but those mean stiff royals were feeding me to the slaughter. But, you know, muted colors are also in fashion at the time. You know, a camel coat, you're out in the countryside, you'd wear something muted. I mean, it's all for me. And this is the whole thing. It has been years and years of poor me, poor me, all about her. You know, and, and then what she wants to do is blame it on racism and blame, you know, the palace, royalty, um, then the media, and then actually the British people, which you see happening in episode two, when she starts to try and say Britain's racist because of rows over illegal immigrants, not not legal immigrants, illegal immigrants. And it paints this picture for England, you know, and Britain being racist. But when we go back to it, the reason people don't like her is because she has been all about me, 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 me. And she thinks that she can relate to people. Maybe she thinks, oh, it makes me more relatable if I have problems that I can complain about. Because right now there is this whole thing of competitive victimhood that's going on. Points for um, points for racism, points for... Um, Uh, I'm being put on, points for being bullied. So it's all to me, I think it's so much of it's made up, but she can play on these like victim points, compete with other, you know, not real victims of like abuse or anything, but she plays the victim. And so for me, the turning point was when she was in South Africa and she was doing a tour. She was at a home with um, very vulnerable girls and it was an ITV uh, journalist that said to her, you know, Megan, how are you doing? She's like, no one ever asks if I'm okay. And it's like, whoa. So the minute that was like, hold on a minute. You have not only money, but you also have a healthy child. I think it was one at the time. And a husband that loves you dearly, right? Um, and a mother that loves you. And you're, you're playing this poor me, I'm a victim with real, you know, vulnerable people around you that you're supposed to be on tour with and I think that was a turning point for a lot of people when it became me 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 oh poor me but then she'll blame it on racism and it's the it's the weirdest craziest thing can I tell you please go down this with this lane with me my so I have a friend her name is Joelle she's hilarious and I forgive me because this is some foul language in here but I think she speaks for a lot of women who maybe aren't in front of the camera and watching this thing she writes, if Harry married me, I'd be effing on it. 
I'd be everywhere, building goddamn schools, raising money for hospitals. I would take it effing seriously and serve the effing people. What the eff? This insane narcissistic bitch, it's almost unbelievable. I would take on literacy, diseases. Forget it. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. How stupid. She says, Meghan Markle, get your ass out there and help the people and stop worrying if Amal Clooney is going to be at your baby shower or not. It's absurd to me. This is the platform of a fucking lifetime. Get out there. <laughs> keep your head down. Do your effing job. You vapid, privileged American B-word. She's not a fan. I may be the only person alive that dislikes her more than you do, MK. Then she raises the point. She's in Africa. Africa. There's no clean drinking water. Civil war. The kids don't have clothes. And and she says, but no one is asking me how I am. What the everlasting F, how you are? <laughs> she said, at least Angelina Jolie and Madonna go over there and feel so bad they end up adopting a few of the children. <laughs> She's joking. But I mean, this is how people feel. This is how real people feel watching her stand over there and complain in the middle of Africa, sitting in her Montecito mansion and complaining about her life. Even the same as Britain, this woman would not have the platform, would not have the fame, and neither would Prince Harry without the British people. I mean, he's famous on the back and lives a rich lifestyle on the back of taxpayers' money, British taxpayers' money. So you can't come and tell me that you're oppressed by us. And this idea that, let me get one thing straight. The British people don't dislike Meghan Markle because we're racist. We dislike her because she's not a good person. And that is the bottom line of it. Because if we were racist, when you go back to the wedding of Harry and Meghan, over 20 29 million people watched that wedding and the streets. And I know because I was a young girl at the time, I was in school and we got a day off school, were literally filled to the brim with people who were supporting Meghan and Harry. And that would not have happened if we were racist. The only reason why the British people changed their mind, we loved Meghan and Harry at the beginning. We changed our mind because she showed us who she truly was and she's not a good person. And that is the bottom line. They're not oppressed. They're not victims. They're not victims of racism. They have got an incredible life as a result of the British people and they're not they're not oppressed by us they, that's the right they i have the my mug i was there i was with you cheering them on in the streets i <laughs> i loved her i've got tons of tape talking about how excited i was about her it, they, it was them their their behavior that turned people on them and now in this piece leilani they talk they have this uh, guy who works for their foundation um who's like imagine imagine the hell of them now having to go out there and perform for the same press that tore down his mother, that's been tearing down them. Here's that. Here's a bit of that. His name is James Holt, SOT 22. Imagine all of these people that have published horrible things about you, have published horrible things about your family, have published horrible things about your mother. You've got to perform for them. Okay. All I could think was, welcome to being a public figure. How do you think Ivanka Trump ever speaks to any newspaper reporter, right? How do you think Tom Cruise ever gives an, an interview, given all the stuff that's been said about Scientology and his weddings and all that? This is when you're a public figure, you get some positive press and you get a ton of negative press. And if you ever want another piece of positive press again, you have to deal with the snakes who wrote the terrible things about you. This is absolutely true. You really do. You know, I've, I've done reality shows and I've been in the press. And, you know, I remember my first thing I got told is today's newspaper is tomorrow's chip paper. It doesn't matter. You know, don't take all, don't listen to all the good publicity. Don't listen to all the bad publicity. 
tea. Don't read it, throw it away. Don't sit there and ponder over it. Why she couldn't do that, I do not understand for the life of me. I mean, you cannot control the press. And I know, I, you know, Dan Wooten tweeted the other day that she actually, before she met Harry, worked with the press a lot, you know, trying to increase her PR, even set up paparazzi pictures. He said in a tweet that he worked with them to do all of that. So then you can't, you know, you're doing that. If they turn on you a little bit, you have to work it and, and, and try and get back in their good books. But you cannot take it all on and you cannot control the press. They are their own thing. They will do whatever they want. And, and you cannot, you know, oh, I'm going to flee to America. Well, the thing is, at least it, there were certain controls that the British press had with regards to the royal family when she actually got in there. So like you said, you have to take the bad, you have to take the good, you have to let it go over your head and you don't control them. And mm -hmm. the trying to control them is making it worse and worse and worse. It is. Because she keeps on trying to tell her story, but we heard her story. And the more you try and repeat the same thing that you're a victim... You know, we're not going to change our minds at this point. That's right. If, I mean, my like my friend Joelle, she is not a persuadable, as we as we call it in <laughs> voting. Like she's not a persuade. She's seen enough. She's made her judgment. And she speaks for a lot of people out there who've just had it. You know, she's angry about it. The woman has angered her with her narcissism and her inability to yeah. focus on anybody other than herself. Meanwhile, she's running around telling us she's she's as beloved as Nelson Mandela. That's Meghan Markle's message. And so yeah. the thing about Harry is he's out there saying, I don't care. I don't care that Kate had to take it. By the way, I, you know, there were nude photographs of Kate Middleton, not nude, but topless. She was topless and the, the paparazzi got her. Um, you know, we've seen this happen with all of the royal family, all the stuff like the Charles and Camilla phone call that was R rated that got released. The press does what the press is going to do. But he says it's the racial element that raised the level uh, of responsibility by the palace to intervene on her behalf. What do you make of that? Just categorically complete utter nonsense. And then let's bring up Camilla. Camilla got a horrid time when she came in the royal family. Utterly, utterly horrid time. Obviously, because of everything that was going on with Diana, there was a lot of anger at the palace because of that. And she has become a phenomenal royal. She's actually one of the most popular royals because she earned it. She kept her mouth shut. She worked incredibly hard. Meghan is acting, right, that she's getting criticism in the press as if she's not getting a life of complete, object luxury, millions of pounds, all of this jewellery she ever wanted, all of this protection that she had in the royal family, courtesy of the British taxpayer. Can I please remind you again, courtesy of the British people to do to get a bit of negative press and again kate has got it camilla has got it but they've dealt with it properly she hasn't and it's almost as if she's trying her very hardest to keep continuing to get negative press i mean mm. uh, nobody cares about the color of megan's skin as i said before our problems with megan aren't about her skin color it's about her attitude her behavior and the way she's treated the queen and the royal family she's Isn't not it? a victim she's an incredibly horrid person towards you know when philip was dying she was tearing apart this royal family as the queen was dying and her last few days and as after she has died in the country has you know suffered a significant loss she is still going she is just a horrible person that is the bottom in the line. documentary she says oh but i got death threats she says she talks about i then i got a death threat so i got security and they talk about some anthrax scare that happened at one point can i tell you that too is part of being a pu public figure been there many times i've had to have <laughs> armed guards follow me around for weeks it's not great i'm not recommending it to anybody i'm just saying this is not a function of 
racist Britons hating her. This is a function of being a public figure in 2022. That's life. It's not ideal. They did the right thing. They got a security team. She was protected. That's what they will continue to do. How do you look back at like the working class people of Great Britain and say, it's your fault. It's your racism that did this to me. Leilani, I'll give you the last word. You know, and that's another thing as well. Like my mother's from the Philippines. She's an immigrant from the Philippines. And when people are against me or troll me, I don't think it's because they're racist or my mum's an immigrant. I know it's because I've done something. I'm a, um, I'm opinionated, I'm mouthy and, and what have you. And also when my mum had me, my mum and dad and my grandparents sat there and what colour will her skin be? What colour, what shape will her eyes be? Will they be Filipino like my mum or round and blue like my dad? You know, none of this is racist and to keep perpetuating perpetuating it is just race baiting and that's all they can do because actually their documentary and themselves are pretty boring people and they need the drama and they need the race baiting to try and keep people watching and to be quite honest it's woke bingo to me it's um you know unconscious bias institutional gaslighting they say all they need for overly therapized it's like, All right, I got to leave uh, it at that. <laughs> I'm up against it, but it, it's a pleasure to see you both. Thank you both for, for so much for being here. Oh, well, we covered a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for being there with us. I would love to know how you think about all of this. If you watched it, what you make of the clips, if you haven't watched it. Um, so there are a couple of ways of getting to me. You can email me, Megan, M-E-G-Y-N at MeganKelly.com. You can leave some comments on YouTube. Uh, and you can go to our podcast on Apple and leave a comment there because A, I do read those and B, we, we get credit. Like if you leave a comment there, it kind of helps the show and the algorithm. I don't know how it works, but you know how big tech stinks. In any event, please do that and let me know what you think. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow because we've got John Ramsey. Yes. John Ramsey, the father of John Benet will join me for an exclusive interview. Download the show in the meantime, follow us at youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. But how do you feel? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? Get to GNC. We'll help with solutions to address those side effects and keep you going on your journey. GNC. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.